Hello, everyone. My name is Rob Osell, filling in for Tracy Lee for another episode in our series about engineering leadership. Today, I'm here with Charlie Isaacs, CTO for Customer Connection at Salesforce. Charlie, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Rob. Thanks for including me. Thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Can you tell the folks, are you allowed to tell the folks where you are right now? Because I mean, the, oh. the commitment to being here to record this today is admirable. Oh, well, I appreciate that. Yeah. So I, I have to admit, I'm having a lot of fun where I am right now. I'm in Barcelona. <laughs> I'm in Spain. Uh, no puedo hablar español. Lo siento mucho. No, I, I mean, uh, I don't speak very good Spanish. So uh, maybe there are some Spanish listeners that were ridic can ridicule my accent. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's a... Um, a connected city conference here in Barcelona. And actually there's also a Gartner conference here. They were both here at the same time. So wow. um, I was able to do double duty and it's called the uh, Smart City uh, World Commerce event. That's where I am. And it's pretty cool stuff actually. I, I don't know if you've ever been to Barcelona before, but I went this year for the first time and absolutely loved it. I, I didn't know what to expect, but it was not what I expected in all the right ways. Just a fun city to explore. You just turn down a random road and there's just a street full of shops and restaurants. It's just, it was a fun city. Exactly. And and I do get here a lot because I, I come for Mobile World Congress every almost every year. And uh, I don't recommend... Uh, well, I recommend coming, but bring your own transportation. It gets very, very crowded. Uh, it was even crowded here. Um, anyway, but it's a beautiful city. And I highly recommend what they call tapas, you know, the small plates. But you'll, um, with tapas, they're small plates, so you can eat like 100 of them. So um, try. Yeah, uh, you have to be careful. The food here, <laughs> you have to be careful. Uh, the food Barcelona, right. amazing. Oh, tremendous. All right. Well, listen, let's dive in. For people that may be unfamiliar, because I think you've just had a fascinating career. Can you kind of give people a little bit, for people that aren't familiar with you, just a little bit of a story of your journey and how you arrived at Salesforce? Wow. Okay. So I started off as a government contractor way back when out of college, because they, uh, they told me that uh, they would send me around the world. And uh, I was just out of college and I love traveling. So um, I used to install computer equipment in the basements of top secret facilities like uh, Cheyenne Mountain and the Pentagon in uh, the White House and even on C-130 aircraft. We used to spy on the Russians and that was back in the 80s with Ronald Reagan and uh, proud to say that uh, we were very effective at it. Uh, we used to drop film out of the sky and uh, it's all, it was all very highly classified at the time, but we built what we called imagery exploitation, which evolved into something uh, you probably know it's Google Earth, uh, stuff they do on Esri, um, and we also built weather systems. Anyway, I left there in the mid-90s. Uh, I was lured to the Silicon Valley by a, a visionary. Uh, her name was Louise Kirkbride, and uh, she had the idea to put uh, knowledge management originally, but customer service um, and contact centers and things like that in the cloud. What a novel concept. Yeah, so, especially in the '90s, uh, like we, that's a that's a that's a nascent cloud at that point. Bit of a bit, it, bit, almost like some vapor in the air at that point. It was so. Um, we the first time we tried that, we got acquired by um, a company called Computer Associates, and we we both abandoned that ship. Um, and then I went to a small AI startup, believe it or not, in the late '90s 
called Thinking Tools, and we did agent-based adaptive simulation back. So that, that was my early entry into artificial intelligence. We were building uh, business simulators, um, and that was right before the Y2K thing. Remember, we were simulating what would happen if. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I remember. Yeah. So we were, we were doing simulations on. Okay, what happens if we lost this group of servers and they had date problems? Uh, how would that affect the rest of the servers? So we were doing, and each little server became an agent. And it was really cool uh, application for AI. Um, and you'll see better implementations of what we did back in the late 90s. You'll see that's like common things right now to see. But anyway, so I left <laughs> there and we went to um, Broad Daylight, which became um, when Mark Benioff, by the way, I'm at Salesforce now. He's my fearless leader and amazing uh, visionary. Everybody knows Mark Benioff. Uh, what a great guy to work with and work for. Um, but we were building customer service in the cloud when he was building sale, uh, Salesforce automation in the cloud in uh, the early 2000s. So um, that's how I got started um, in customer service. And they hired me at Salesforce. Uh, by the way, I, I like to boast that all of our old technology is locked in a closet at Oracle Corporation because that's who ended up acquiring <laughs> all this technology. Um, but I ended up at uh, Salesforce in 2012. So I've been there, what is it now, almost 11 years, right? And mm -hmm. um, I like to boast that I've got the best job at Salesforce because I, um, I get to work with customers. Uh, my official title is CTO for Customer Connection. But back about eight years ago, I was minding my own business and, and Mark Benioff uh, caught me at lunch. I was trying to hide in the corner eating my lunch, right? And Mark said, Charlie, how are we going to grow Service Cloud 40% um, year over year? I said, oh, we need to be in the Internet of Things business. He goes, okay, why don't you go do that? So we didn't have Internet of Things back then. We had Internet of customers, that's what we called it, because we didn't focus mm. on the first mile. We didn't, mm -hmm. we didn't focus on IoT and devices and things like that, because we don't do that at Salesforce. But what we do is we focus on the customer experience. So that's why my title became uh, CTO for customer connection. So I connect to customers, and I do work with a lot of customers, and I also connect customers to their products and to their services and things like that. So that's why my title is CTO for customer connection. So. There's my career in a nutshell for you. How's that? I mean, honestly, you did a great job. And I think what people are getting from that intro, if nothing else, is we need to know what you're interested in now so that we can start our startups. Because it seems like you are on the front edge of all of the major revolutions in computing with cloud and AI. So you tell us, Travis, any, any other hot things that you think that you're interested in now that we can all be invested in in 20 years from now? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. So there's, there's something, there's this thing called generative AI. I highly recommend <laughs> No, I don't know. That, that's been one of my downfalls too. Actually, I um, like look at look at look at IoT eight years ago, and I'm at the Smart City conference, and there's still a lot of people just talking about it. Right? They're not doing it. They're um, and I I have filed like a lot of patents in my career. Um, so that that's where you, if you want to see what's five ten years out. Just go th do a search on what patents I've filed, and you can probably guess there what, we go. Uh, what's not. It's going to take another 10 years to come to fruition, right? So I like this idea that part of your job is to meet with customers and to really help them see where they could go, what the potential <clears throat> is. Um, can you kind of walk me through 
how you do that? Like what, what, what are they not seeing and what are you helping people to see the potential? Yeah, that's, that's really difficult one because it's different for every customer. Um, so I think the process is the process for me that seems to work is doing a lot of research. You know, you just don't show up and throw up basically, you know, put a PowerPoint presentation up, um, with the, your general purpose, you, you're pitching to a automotive company. You don't take the classic automotive deck, automotive pitch, and then just change all, you know, change it from um, Nissan to Mercedes, right? Um, what you need to do is research that company, you know, basically go onto their website, read their annual review, your annual um, report. Um, find out as much as you can, maybe, you know, who, who's in the room and guess what? They've already got a vision, right? And it seems like everybody's on YouTube already or somewhere on the web at a conference talking about what their true vision is. Right. And the problem is that they're getting so overwhelmed by their day-to-day -day operations and trying to just block and tackle and trying to get uh, the numbers right, or, you know, manage the people that they can't, they're saying, oh, that's my vision, but that's way too far out. I can't really accomplish that. So the reason I love working for Salesforce is I can, um, first of all, even take their exact vision if I hear a vision from them, and I can even build it for them on our platform prior to the meeting and like build a demo that is their vision and say, here, remember you were talking about this before? Um, well, this is, you're already a Salesforce customer or maybe they're a prospective customer, um, I can still build it, right? I use our platform, I can build pieces of that and show it to them. So, you know, if that's, if that's if their vision is clear. If there's no vision or, that sounds bad, everybody has a vision, but it, I'm not able to find what I'm looking for to build a good vision for where I think they should be, um, I guess. And mm -hmm. that's the other fun part of my, about my job. And I call it spaghetti flinging. Okay. <laughs> you know, the old, the old expression, spring, fling the spaghetti against the wall and see whatever sticks is great. Right. Yeah. Um, so maybe they came from my Italian, uh, my, my aunt married an Italian guy. And I, I use that expression because I think he used that you know, flinging oh, Charlie, you're flinging the spaghetti. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> um, so the, um, when you fling spaghetti, some of it sticks and then some of it like misses really badly, right? And guess what? That breaks ice, right? When, when I meet with these folks, I love it when they, they laugh at me or um, they say, that, that was really a stupid idea. But you know what they do after this? In their next sentence, it might be, but you know what? If you just turn that upside down, yeah. then we have this idea and then the then stuff comes out, right? And then you listen. It's all about listening, right? So you throw the spaghetti and then you have to do a lot of listening. And here I am rambling on blah, 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 blah. I'm talking and not get, letting you get a word in edgewise, but you, you have to do a lot of listening. And then, then you can come yeah. back again and build them a brand new vision based upon what they just said about the idea that didn't stick. Or maybe, um, you know, another great case is if, they something stuck and they say, Hey, you know what? Can we POC that? Right. Let's build a proof of concept for that. Um, and then 
I just build on that vision. I'll get some folks. We have amazing folks. We have this, uh, this demo team. Um, we call it a demo team, but that's actually a POC team. We also have, you know, Salesforce professional services, right? And they can actually implement these things. So I've had a customer um, say, that's great. Or sometimes they'll call my bluff. They'll say, oh, there's no way it could be that easy. No way. Um, I, I had a, a company do that. It was um, a hot tub company, okay? And the people were across the hall building connections from their hot tub into the cloud, right? And the CEO is in the room and we're in the, it's in the warehouse and the CEO is in the room with us and we're pitching them. They say, oh, no way it could be that easy. If it's that easy, the people across the hall are connecting our hot tubs to the web right now. And they just had a successful dry run. Why don't you connect that sensor into Salesforce and show what happens when the pump fails in the jacuzzi, create a, a trouble ticket in that jacuzzi. We want to see that. Uh, I said, okay, can we have a lunch break? So, and by the way, I was kind of cheating. It was a company called Particle IO, and we had already integrated them into Salesforce. I already knew there was an API that I could talk to. So yeah, sure, let's do it. So I called his bluff. He called my bluff. I called his bluff. And then he came back at one o'clock and I was demoing Particle IO. Um, we said, okay, turn the pump on, turn the pump on voltage. Uh, Voltage and current dropped, and it created the case and service cloud. And uh, guess what? They signed a contract with us to do the, the real thing. So um, sometimes we can hand off what we're demoing, or yeah. we can do things very rapidly. I, I did, I did like that idea of being the spaghetti flinger because <clears throat> you're absolutely right. I think people can sometimes be guarded when it comes to conversations with vision. They don't want to reveal too much or they're maybe not 100% certain of what it is. But I'll tell you what, people may not be able to say, oh yeah, that is my vision, but they'll tell you what isn't. <laughs> and so you're oh, absolutely yeah. right. Sometimes throw in some negatives, not negative in terms of sentiment, but just not aligned uh, ideas out there is people can tell you very clearly what is not correct. And oftentimes in the process of telling you what's not correct, they reveal what is correct either to themselves or to the group. And uh, so, yeah, I, you know, props to all those spaghetti flingers in the meetings that are lightening the mood and getting people to share because sometimes coming up with ideas that don't work can be as valuable signal as ones that people seem to resonate with. I totally agree. That's, that's spot on. All right. Well, we're going to take a little break here for a second uh, to thank you, say thanks to our sponsor today, which is This.Labs. This.Labs is a development consultancy that is trusted by top industry companies, including Stripe, Zero, Wikimedia, DocuSign, and Twilio. This. takes a hands-on approach by providing tailored development strategies to help you approach your most pressing challenges with clarity and confidence. Whether it's bridging the gap between business and technology or modernizing legacy systems, you'll find a breadth of experience and knowledge you need. Check out how this.labs can empower your tech journey at this.co. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot C-O. And of course, thank you to this dot for allowing me to have these kind of conversations that we're having here today. Let's get back to it. So, Charlie, I think you know, we talked about um, <clears throat> this idea of innovation and you're working with people on this innovation. And I think we can see where this can be valuable. We just went through the COVID period and the restaurant industry was completely transformed. Uh, you know, suddenly there are restaurants that do the majority of their business through takeout now. 
uh, and, and barely have anybody in the restaurant. There were premonitions of this with gig economy delivery services leading up to COVID. And some businesses saw that potential and embraced it, and others had to pay through the nose to retrofit it at an emergency capacity, and others just went under because they couldn't get there. So I guess, you know, you had talked a little bit about people just kind of looking down and and not feeling like there's just never the right time to to look beyond. We're in a pretty tight economic situation. Like, just walk us through, like, for, as leaders that are sitting there and being like, I, I have some ideas, but I'm my OKRs are, are all uh, out of whack. Uh, you know, like, how do you, what do you recommend for people to kind of see these opportunities to get that conviction to, to be able to make that argument to, to be able to get that investment? Yeah, so I mean, the pandemic was a great example of a compelling event, forcing you to do um, and I, get, I, I hate to use this term, but digital transformation, I just used it there. Um, I mean, we all these you. restaurants. <laughs> it, it, okay, great. Um, but all these restaurants, right, you walk into a restaurant, and you, you could barely find a menu online, right? Um, let alone get home delivery service, or maybe they, they sign up with one of the existing ones, right? But um, they just didn't have a, um, a way of, of managing um, digital commerce. And uh, we kind of, we almost felt guilty about that at Salesforce because we were capitalizing on this, on this pan pandemic. I don't know if you noticed our, our numbers went way up um, during the pandemic. And we were able to <clears throat> wrap. Yeah. Sorry. Rapidly transform, excuse me, rapidly transform those companies uh, by uh, bringing them into the online commerce world with our um, e-commerce op offerings. And they, um, they were able to pivot. So to answer your question, um, there are companies in a similar situation right now, right, where they really have to you're right. The economy isn't that great right now. And it's really a, a good, compelling time to make your operations more efficient, you know, especially with the focus lately on uh, profit. Right. So everybody's looking at the bottom line. We used to have to. Um, well, we didn't have to really think about uh, profit. We were all about growth. Uh, now we have to make our own operations more efficient and and guess how we're doing that at salesforce well we're eating more of our own oh i was about to say dog food we're drinking more own of our own champagne right um we're we're deploying a lot more automation and we're, we're leveraging our own tools to do that and in the coming months it's going to be really easy to do that because there's this new thing called ai right generative AI. And we've um, come up with an approach to improve all of our employees' efficiency at Salesforce by sprinkling generative AI over everything. And now every company can do that. So it's going to, you know, you asked the question, how can companies um, keep up with the, you know, what's coming, what's, what's happening right now, you know, possibly we're going into a recession. Well, guess what? Part of the answer is generative AI because, um, a, a lot of our companies, almost every company without an exception that I'm talking to 
is either trying to build their own large language models within their company or um, everybody's experimenting with large language models. Unfortunately, um, in my opinion, they're doing it in, in an incorrect fashion because they're probably leveraging public LLMs or they're building their own LLM internally, but they're not putting a security layer on top of it, right? So you might be training your large language model with your own private company data or your customer's data, even worse, right? And so we think we've come up with an approach and we've applied that approach internally. First of all, we don't allow any of our employees to access any external LLMs, right? You can't go out to OpenAI um, or ChatGPT. You can't <laughs> build customer uh, you know, emails on external ChatGPT. Well, we have that offering that we've made available to our customers. It's called Einstein AI. And uh, it's got a trust layer on top of it. And every, uh, we say, oh, everybody's an Einstein now, right? And that's yeah. true, it sounds corny, but you can, um, with this trust layer that we've built, first of all, there's like seven layers of capability that you need in order to have a trustworthy AI. And I won't name all seven of them, but basically, okay, what do you start with a prompt, right? So that prompt, you, what happens if you put your customer name in that prompt and send it out to, well, then ChatGPT knows your customer name. You don't want to do that. So you want to obscure the customer name. So that prompt, um, what happens if that prompt has uh, bad stuff in it, right? Toxicity, right? If you, you don't want that to go out to a public model either. Um, what happens if, um, you know, I mentioned PII data, but that prompt needs to be massaged and then it needs to go out <clears throat> and there needs to be a zero retention, a zero retention policy from whatever LLM you go to. So if you trained your own LLM, then uh, you may or may not want all of that prompt information that you've prompted to, and all the training data to be accessed to other, by other people, right? So you have to have special rules on top of that for not only retention, but who has access to that. So there has to be a security model on top of that. And then um, when it comes back out of that AI, you have to check for hallucinations. You have to ground it. I, for, I forgot on the input side, um, grounding is very important, right? So how do you ground it? And at Salesforce, we've taken the approach where you can actually you take a prompt and you ground it against the existing Salesforce customer data that's in your, we call it a Salesforce org, right? Your Salesforce instance. And of course, Salesforce can't see your data, but you uh, have access to your own grounding capability. So you get that in our Einstein trust layer. And so you've got grounding and you have hallucination that, um, that eliminates a lot of the hallucination issues you've got. And then, you reassemble everything on the other end, you put all the customer data back into it on the outside, on the output back towards you, right? And there's a human in the loop. There always has to be a human in the loop. So that's our approach. I'm sorry, you know, I didn't articulate it very well, but there are multiple aspects of um, AI and how to leverage that. And I think once um, companies can take advantage of that. Their efficiency is going to improve tremendously. Um, mm -hmm. Another another way. Okay, by the way, I'm. There might be developers in the audience, you know, or 
CTOs who have development teams or CIOs who have development teams. I, um, when I build these demos, I'm using our own large language models to generate code. I hate to admit this. And I can ask our own, you can, uh, we have this thing called the, like a lightning flow. And with our new release, I can build, I can write a prompt that says, I need a workflow that does A, B, and C. And then when C happens, I need to make an API call and trigger something and then come back. And I could type that into a prompt and have the, the code for the flow generate that flow and it's running right in front of me. And that saves me hours, right, of work. And well, at least minutes, I can build one in minutes, but some people. And what, what's great about this is, um, as we kind of wrap things up is, you know, I, I think what you're just talking about there and combining it with the, the, that concept of being, again, the spaghetti flinger, because I think spaghetti flingers or idea people, as they've been known to be called, sometimes are a maligned concept because, you know, ideas are cheap. They're a spark. But what you've been talking about consistently through this conversation is that ability to turn an idea into a rapid prototype, with whether it's for, you know, a hot tub or for a piece of code that you're using generative AI, like that ability, that capacity to do rapid prototyping really is the thing that takes ideas and sparks and kind of adds that kindling to it. So I guess, can you kind of, uh, as we kind of wrap things up, can you kind of conclude by sort of telling people how important this capability to do rapid prototyping is to being able to do some of the transformations that you've been talking about in this conversation? Yeah, for sure. And, and that's one of the things that makes my job so fun. Um, when you, and I think I mentioned earlier in the conversation, these C-level executives are, are so um, distracted by their day-to-day -day operations that they can't conceive that something could be built uh, rapidly to prove an idea. And then, because um, they've got all the, these ideas and they've got this vision that and it looks like you're trying to boil the ocean, right? So when you bring all these things together, but if you take a small section of that ocean and don't boil the entire ocean, just take a small section of that and build that. And you can prove that and show that to someone and you show it operating in real time and you can convey their vision back to them. That's very powerful. And then if you could pick it up in a POC, and prove the business value. It's all about proving the business value of something, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's where you're not going to get anywhere if you just build a cool looking demo and you run the demo. Oh, that looks great. That may or may not work, but oh, it's going to be months before we can even get to that. Well, why not build a small portion of that, rapidly prototype it, move into a POC and make it hours and days instead of months, right? And then once it's up and running, that's where you can prove the business value. And then you can start building that ocean <laughs> that you wanna boil, right? And you build it in little baby steps and you can build it iteratively as you go. I don't know, did that answer your question? Yeah, oh, I mean, I love that idea. I mean, that's, I think that's people think when they hear of a proof of concept, they might automatically go to that demo idea. Let me show a fake, a model home version of the thing I want to build, but you're kind of advocating for, no, just don't start at an entire community, 
just build a shed or whatever it is, right? Like let's, let's get rid of this analogy, but this idea of build a real small piece, not a fake version of a, that's a microcosm of the thing you're trying to get to, uh, because something that is actually delivering value immediately will become the type of thing that people can get really inspired by. And it can be invested into to give more value as opposed to something that needs to go to some clandestine approval process to get money to get the whole thing built. Yeah, exactly. And you know, the, the whole business value and approval process is a lot easier when you can say, when you show someone, like, let's say you have to, you're a C-level executive, you have to prove to a board. And I, I have a company doing that, is it today? It's either today or, yeah, today. It's happening today in the US. They have to go in front of their board and convince them that this project is worth funding, right? And they're gonna actually show the prototype that we built for them and then the board's gonna say, well, you know, how long is it gonna take to do this? Well, guess what? We already have the prototype. We could start, we could deploy this with a hundred salespeople today. We can deploy this with a hundred field technicians today. And that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take a hundred field technicians. We're gonna test out this new um, speech to text based AI, generative AI interface to Salesforce um, and if it works, it works. If it doesn't, then we either kill the project or uh, we find out what didn't work and we fix it, right? And we build on it. So, and guess what? When you, when you can build a demo that's actually an operational production, production worthy demo, and it needs to be hardened, of course, right? Um, those things rarely, uh, I'm gonna jinx it now, but those things rarely fail, right? Because you're already 80% of the way there. And uh, they're less likely to, likely to fail if they're built on a real platform and they're actually operating. Awesome. Well, that's going to be it for us today. But can you let people know where they can find you online if they want to connect with you or ask any questions or just sort of find out more? Yeah, so I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. I hate to... Uh... <laughs> say I'm on X or Twitter, because I don't know, it's so controversial now, but I am on Twitter, at Charlie Isaacs on Twitter, Charlie Isaacs on LinkedIn. Um, I'm uh, Isaacs at salesforce.com if you want to email me. But uh, thanks, Rob, so much for including me, and I had a lot of fun time. I had a lot of fun talking to you. Great. All the way from well, Barcelona. Yes. <laughs> I Yes, making us all jealous today. So thank you so much for that. <laughs> That's going to be it for us today. Thank you to Charlie for being our guest. And thank you to each of you for listening. We hope to see you all next time. As we round out, we would like to thank our sponsor, This.Labs, one last time. We would like to remind all of you that they are trusted by top names like Meta, Google, and T-Mobile. This.Labs helps bridge the gap from business requirements to tech implementation. Whether you're modernizing legacy systems, ensuring sustainable application architecture, or seeking expert guidance, this.labs has the experience to help. Discover more at this.co. One more time, that's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot C-O. Thanks again, and hope to see you all next time.